This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who's pining for simpler times, like when the number one threat to our elections was confused people in Florida. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Ellen Weintraub, the chair of the Federal Election Commission. She's been a commissioner since 2002 and now is in her third year of chairing the group, which is an independent regulatory agency that enforces campaign finance law. Chair Weintraub, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you, Karen. It's so great to be here. I, I met you because you were on. Yeah, first of all, I noticed a lot of things you're saying, which because they're sensible. And when I watch cable television, I try hard not to watch cable television. But you and I were on uh, CNBC recently talking about uh, some of the stuff that President Trump was tweeting about about the elections. And so I want I want to get to that in a little bit. But I want to sort of get your what the F the FEC does and and what you you think your role is and how you got there. Okay, so the FEC was set up to follow the money after Watergate. Uh, We take in all of the information from the candidates and the party committees and political groups. And these these filings they have to make. Yes, Mm -hmm. they are required to file with us. They're required to register. They're required to file uh, regular reports with us uh, so that everyone in America can see who is supporting which candidate and uh, what they're spending their money on. Mm -hmm. And so we collect all of this information. We put it up on the web and reporters and... And uh, analysts, scholars all take a lot of look and do deep dives and and do great analysis of it and get it out to the American people. And the format you have is to just the, they have to fill out the f- way you have it formatted, correct? Yeah, there's a there's a form they can fill it out. We have software they can fill it out online, and then some, and most forms are filed electronically, and that makes it really easy for us to put it up on the web. So explain to me what so and you're funded by your ind- how, how what does independent mean? We're an independent agency. We're not part of the administration. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're not part of the legislature either, or, or the judiciary, certainly. So um, we are our own thing. We get an appropriation from Congress, and we use that money to do our job. And how much money do you get from Congress? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it varies, obviously, uh, and it depends on how much they're willing to give us. But 
I think the last budget was in the high 70s. Mm-hmm. $70 million. Yes. And so this funds the, the, the paperwork and, and the, the monitoring. And when you talk about monitoring, what do, what do you mean that you do? You just make it available. You, may, you force them to, to file or you or Well, it's a little bit more than that. It's a little okay. bit more than okay. that. So there's a requir- there are legal requirements that they file certain information with us. We mm-hmm. have analysts who review the forms. And then uh, we'll get back to committees if they think that there's something missing or something wrong. Mm-hmm. They send out what we call requests for additional information. That's all public. And then people will file amendments and or correct the record however it needs to be corrected. We also have auditors who audit committees that seem to be um, not doing their job properly. So we mm-hmm. need to take a deeper dive into those committees. And we have an enforcement function. There, Anybody can file a complaint with the mm-hmm. FEC and the, our lawyers will look at it and make a recommendation to the commission. And we will uh, decide whether to open an investigation, whether there is sanction warranted, whether somebody's violated the law or they haven't. All right. I'm going to ask you for an example of something like that, what, what you've enforced on. But when they then they do these, who has to file with you? Everyone who has an election in the United States or what's the requirement? Federal candidates. Mm-hmm. This is all at the federal level. So right. candidates for the House, for the Senate, and for the presidency right. have to f- register with the FEC and file regular reports with us. Also the political party committees, also PACs. The state party committees. Yes. state. Well, if they're doing federal activity, right. yes. Right. State party committees and the national party committees. Mm-hmm. Uh, the congressional committee, the Senate committee, the national committee, right. convention committees. Mm-hmm. Um, and the PACs. And the PACs, including so the many super PACs. PACs. So yeah. many PACs. Yeah. How many PACs are there now? There's like— Oh, thousands. Thousands of PACs. And they all have to, if they're involved in federal election, not local elections. Right. They right. have to file with us. Mm-hmm. And um, again, what they take in and what they spend uh, itemized down to $200 contributions. And who who gives them the money yes. to? And who, who gives them? them who uh, the employers of those people, uh, their occupations. There's a, a list of— so the whole concept after Watergate was that we need uh, we need uh, transparency yes. into the money where the money is flowing. Even though the Supreme Court allowed Citizens United allowed so much more uh, funding to happen, you all are trying to be there to say here's what's actually happening. Yes. Well, the original law that was passed uh, back in the '70s had both uh, contribution limits and spending limits in addition to these disclosure requirements. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court back in in the 70s in the Buckley decision, struck down the spending limits. They said that uh, you can express your First Amendment right to um, show which candidate you're supporting with a limited contribution, but if you are going to limit spending, then you're limiting the amount of money that they can use to get their message out. Right. And that is ultimately a limit on free speech, according to the Supreme Court. Right. Transparency is what your goal is. That is our primary mission. Primary mission. And then the enforcement part, give me an example of a—I'm trying to educate people on what you all do, because people think that you're you're supposed to catch the Russians. That's why. Well, well um, yeah, yeah, you, we'll get to that. We'll get to your catching the Russians. But then your enforcement, for Example. Okay, so I'll give you an example where we caught the Chinese instead mm-hmm. of the Russians. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the bigger cases that we've had uh, in recent years, uh, we resolved, I think, earlier this year, um, involved a $1.3 million contribution that was funneled from a Chinese-owned subsidiary uh, with the encouragement of the Chinese board members mm-hmm. down to their U.S. subsidiary uh, to make a $1.3 million contribution to a super PAC that was supporting Jeb Bush mm-hmm. in the um, back in the 2016 primaries. 
and uh, it's illegal to take money from foreign sources. Mm -hmm. So uh, this was based actually on a very uh, good bit of investigative reporting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we had a lot of the work done for us by reporters, and uh, it was presented by uh, a nonprofit organization here in D.C., which filed a complaint based on the reporting, and the information was, was pretty compelling. So we did our own investigation after that and ultimately settled the case for close to a million dollars in penalties. And the money had to go back. Well, the money was mostly spent, spent at that point. Spent at that point, so they couldn't, but the fine cost them the amount of money. So the, the idea is trying to keep, sort of keep one foreign influence. Talk about that idea of foreign influence within U.S. elections. We are not supposed to collect anything from foreign countries seeking to uh, create either discord or create a create move it to one way or the other. It is illegal to solicit, accept, or receive Anything of value from a foreign national. Anything of value. Anything of value from a foreign national in connection with a U.S. election. And that is one area where we have jurisdiction over state and local elections as mm-hmm. well as federal elections. And and meaning, and what are the enforcement for that? It's fines or— Yes. As I just described, it mm-hmm. would be an investigation, fines. We don't send people to jail. If it's a knowing and willful violation, we can refer it to the Justice Department, and they can send people to jail. Right. Absolutely. And how many commish people work for you? I want people to get a sense of how small a budget you have and also how few people you have working for you. Um, there are about 315 people working for the agency right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have um, lawyers, analysts, auditors. We have IT people who keep our website up and running. Um the commissioners each have small staffs of their own, just a couple of and people. And how many commissioners are there? Well, that's a good that's question. That's a good question. Tara. I'm trying to get I'm getting into it. How many okay. are they supposed to have? There are supposed to be six, no and more than three of any one political party. Okay, so typically it's three and three. That's the way it's supposed to be, and that's the way it Should generally be. has been right. uh, over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, once in a while, We'll get down to five, but usually it's not lower than five, except that recently we had one commissioner who left a couple of years ago and another one who left about a year and a half ago, and those slots were not filled. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of August, one of my colleagues announced that he was resigning at the end of the week, and um, that brought us down to three. Therefore, the problem is— And then there were three. And then there were three. One D, one R, one I. Ah. Um, At least that's fair, but go ahead. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but you can't meet. But, well, we kind of can, but we can't do anything important if we do. Mm -hmm. So four is a quorum, and Mm -hmm. it was designed to ensure that— uh, most decisions have to be made with four votes so that any decision would be bipartisan by definition. Mm-hmm. If no more than three can be of one political party and it takes four votes to get anything done, it's got to be a bipartisan decision. And, that, mm-hmm. and that's a, that can be a good thing. It was put in as a protection to make sure that right. one side couldn't beat up the other with the campaign finance apparatus and find their political opponents. Mm-hmm. It had to be a bipartisan decision that the law had been violated. So with three, we cannot— make any decisions Mm -hmm. about enforcement. We can't issue advisory opinions. We can't write new regulations. We can continue doing the enforcement work that was Mm pre-authorized. So any investigation that had four votes behind it before we lost the quorum, those investigations are ongoing. But if new complaints are filed now, we cannot launch any new investigations and we we can't conclude any investigations. 
You can't conclude the ones that were existing before. Right, right. So. Our lawyers can finish what they're doing. Right. Write up a report, present it to the commission, but the commission can't vote and on And can it. those be public? No, not until no, you vote they on won't it. be. They won't. They don't get to be public until the entire matter is concluded. All right. And it can't be concluded without four votes. All right. So I'm trying to do this in the most journalistic way I can, but we're coming into an election. Um, the 2020 presidential, very key elections coming into it next November. Every election Every, is key. I know that. I understand that. We're coming a big one. It's a, it's a big president. All of them are at once. What the fuck? <laughs> Ellen, why? <laughs> Explain. That was, that was my journey. I went to Columbia Journalism School, and they teach us how to ask questions like yes. that. What? what? That's my question. Okay. So um, this is not good. No. Thank uh, you. This is... <laughs> It's also Let's put an underline yes, under that. Very not good. Okay. Also completely out of my control. The way commissioners get nominated is the president has to nominate and the Senate has to confirm. Mm-hmm. And uh, traditionally, the president nominates, chooses the people of his or her own party, mm-hmm. and the Senate uh, leaders in the opposition party will recommend mm-hmm. um, commi- the folks they would like to have nominated and then on the president. Side. And the president. Generally. Just I mean, sends them through. Yes, generally, although there have been instances where the president refused mm-hmm. to take the um, suggestion and they had to come back with more names. Mm-hmm. So there's been uh, one nominee pending for about two years now, mm-hmm. uh, a Republican nominee, and uh, we are waiting to see what will happen next. So what will happen next? What do you, what's it pending for two years? What? What well, is that? The nomination was made. The president nominated um, a Republican lawyer mm-hmm. to fill one of the seats uh, a couple of years ago, and there were never any hearings. And that person is still, I think he's living in Texas, okay. um, waiting. Uh-huh. And there are rumors of a potential Democratic nominee, but mm-hmm. um, that the nomination has not been made yet. So why? Oh, that is a question you well, come have on, to you ask call other people. people. I understand that, but don't you call people and get on your horns since you're not doing anything else and go, hey. Oh, I am very uh, No, I'm teasing. Doing... I'm teasing. But really, what can you do? You can't do anything? You call up Chuck Schumer and say, dude, what's up? I have stated publicly and emphatically that mm-hmm. I believe that we should have a full complement of six commissioners and that nomination should be made and uh, and that Senate should hold hearings and confirm nominees if appropriate. All right. Has this ever happened before? Yes, actually it has. All it right. Tell me. Before. Give me some historical context in, I'm uh, horrified. In 2007, this was back in the day when we had recess appointees. Mm-hmm. So um, – Back in 2007, we had two commissioners who had been confirmed and three commissioners who were sitting in recess appointments mm-hmm. awaiting confirmation. Now, they're allowed to serve for a certain period of time, a limited period of time, mm-hmm. while they are awaiting their confirmation. But one of those nominees, one of those three, was um, toxic mm-hmm. and could not get confirmed. And mm-hmm. uh, usually these things just kind of go through because there's at least one from one side and one from the other sure. side. And everybody agrees to accept the other guy because they want the their own guy right. uh, or woman, I mm-hmm. mean guy in the completely yes. non-sexist yeah. sense. But that time, one of the nominees could not get confirmed. Right. And then each side was waiting for the other side to blink, mm-hmm. thinking, well, okay, uh, we're going to just hold on to our nominee and eventually you on the other side will have to accept that person and confirm them because you want your nominees to get confirmed. And the other side thought, no, no, you're yeah. going to have to pull your guy because he's unacceptable to us. Mm-hmm. And so they played this game of chicken and it went down to the wire and then uh, December 31st rolled around and their recess appointments expired. 
and they had to leave. And then we were down to two commissioners. Wow. And that situation went on for about six months. And then um, uh, that was in 2008. Mm -hmm. So it was an election year. Right. And uh, John McCain at that point was uh, – this was in the quaint old days when people still got public funding. At least some people still did. Mm -hmm. John McCain wanted to get some public funding. And we couldn't authorize it because there were only two of us. Right. And our lawyers said, nope, takes four votes to authorize um, the funding to be released. So that created some real pressure because now somebody wanted money and we couldn't give so it to So no him. presidential candidate can get fu public funding until this is done. Uh, that is true, but um, unlikely to have much of an impact this time yeah. since so few candidates are still taking public right. funding at right. this point. Right. Explain public funding. People can get – people who don't want to accept – PAC money or whatever. There's a matching grant system for uh, the primaries and a grant uh, that can be made for the general election from the period between the convention and the and the election. Really, since 2000, the system has been declining, and at this point— because no. they don't want there's, – there's strictures on the public. Yeah. The public funding system comes with spending limits. Mm -hmm. If you accept money from the public, you can – from the public funds, then you have to accept the spending limits. And the Supreme Court has upheld that. Um, it's the only way that spending limits uh, have been upheld mm -hmm. only uh, when they're tied to uh, mm -hmm. a, a, a campaign, a, a goodie that you get right. from the federal government. They can put strings on it. Mm -hmm. But those spending limits haven't really kept pace with – the way campaigns have been running and how much money people can raise and spend in this day and age. So uh, one by taking public right, funding. So the candidates, serious candidates, are not taking, taking public, public funding, funding because they can raise so much more money uh, if they don't take the public funding, and then they've got more money to spend. And they can spend whatever they want. So really, pretty much, you you can only collect this information. So the information and data part is intact. Yes. That's that's run pretty much at the staff level. Fortunately, we have a, um, as I said, we've got about 315 terrific staff people who mm -hmm. continue to come to work every day. And yes, we do have the lights on and uh, they're doing their jobs. And one of their jobs is to make sure that we get this information and we put it up on the web and it's available to the public. And that is really the core of our mission. Right. It's really important that people of have course. access to of that course. information. But the analysis of it, you can still do the analysis yes, of it. Analysis, but you can't can, take action if there's a problem. Right. So people could behave any way they want. And can you back do that? Yes. Once? Yes. Yeah. It's a five-year statute of limitations. Mm -hmm. So if somebody vi violates the law this year, and I would recommend that they not, mm -hmm. somebody's going to file a complaint. We will. Our lawyers will look at it. It will be sitting there waiting for commissioners. And sooner or later, they're going to appoint commissioners. Right. It's not it, the five they? years. Yes. Are they, Ellen? I believe they are. Why is that? Because I am a hopeful and optimistic person. All right. But so you can't do anything yourself except no. be chairman. Okay. So I can, this is I just can ask, but I cannot require. What do, you, what, do, you, do you have any conclusions of what that says about what's happening in Washington now? I think I have a conclusion that they just can't. This is an important function of democracy to have transparency and money giving to campaigns. I um, Well, like I said, that not a lot of campaigns are taking the public funds, but I do think the transparency function um, and the enforcement, enforcement function are right. really important. Uh, there's another thing that we can't do, and that is write new regulations or give advice. Mm -hmm. We have in the last year gotten um, four advisory opinion requests around the issue of cybersecurity. Explain that. Um, so there were four different uh, – anybody can't who wants to know whether – We're doing it right. Are we yeah, doing it right? Are we doing it right? Can we 
can we pursue this plan consistent with the law? Mm-hmm. And there are times when, particularly if it involves somebody providing something of value to a campaign, mm-hmm. uh, such as cybersecurity services, right. that they want to get sign-off from the Federal Election Commission because campaigns won't accept it otherwise. They'll be right. afraid. Right, so you don't, they don't to want to come it. back saying, "Oh, you took something you shouldn't have taken." Right. Like, so we had, um, uh, and they need cybersecurity. They protection. do need cybersecurity. They mm-hmm. need it. So we've had a couple of requests that involved um, ultimately organizations that were providing those services in the ordinary course of business. They were giving it on the same terms as they had were giving it to other clients. Mm-hmm. They were protecting their own business interests. Uh, Microsoft submitted a request saying, you know, we're going to look really bad if somebody gets hacked because of some uh, deficiency in our system. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure for our own business purposes that we are providing the best suite of cybersecurity uh, to our political clients. And we can't were, upgrade. Right. We can't upgrade. And, and they were also making it available to um, similar nonprofit organizations. It wasn't just political uh, committees. So the commission said, yes, you can do that. Um, we also had a request from a group called um, Defending Digital Campaigns. Mm-hmm. I think that's right because we thought of it as DDC. So I think I'm, I think I'm getting the initials right, um, which was a group um, organized in Cambridge. It had 1D, 1R, and one national security specialist, the, mm-hmm. um, Matt Rhodes from the Romney campaign and uh, Robbie Mook from the Hillary right. Clinton campaign. We got together working out of the Belfer Center at Harvard with some national security folks, and they said, we want to, uh, as a nonprofit yes. organization, we, we want to provide cybersecurity services to campaigns. We are very worried about the potential of foreign hacking into Robbie our elections. Robbie Mook would know. He ran the Clinton yes. campaign. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it was a tough decision for us because there are limits and uh, there are prohibitions on corporate contributions to campaigns. And this was being organized out of a nonprofit corporation, but still a corporation. Mm-hmm. So I was very concerned that we not write the opinion in a way that would open a big loophole. Right, in the so people create these, cre- do it via these these vehicles. Right. right, but we were able to craft a response uh, that was hinged to our responsibility to enforce the ban on foreign national spending and mm-hmm. our obligation to protect our elections from foreign interference. Mm-hmm. And because of that special hook, we were able to um, tell them that it would be okay for people to accept these services. And as I said, if if we didn't okay it, they were concerned that the campaigns would not be willing to accept it. And but we, now you can't. Now we so if somebody else my, right my now. point is that there were we had four different requests that all had different right. ways of right. uh, of Cyber doing this, yeah. and we had. Uh, we were able to say yes to all four of them, but if somebody else comes up with an innovative idea tomorrow and says, hey, I've got a new great right. way of doing this, we won't be able to okay it for them, and therefore the campaigns probably won't accept it. Oh, so I fantastic. think that is a real right. weakness right. that we cannot 100%, respond. especially around cybersecurity. Exactly. Okay, we're here with Ellen Weintraub hearing some terrible things, who chairs the Federal Election Commission. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. 
Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're here with Ellen Weintraub. She chairs the Federal Election Commission. She's talking about some the fact that they can't really do their job right now because they do not have a quorum. Do you have any time frame on this? Well, as I said, it's completely out of my hands. Right. It's whenever the president nominates no. and the Senate confirms. It can happen pretty quickly. If they do that. Uh, back in 2008, when they were suddenly motivated to fill mm-hmm. the slots, the recently resigned vice chairman was nominated and then confirmed 12 days later. 12 days later. So, so they can do it very quickly. They can, they can do it quick if they're motivated. So what you've been doing now, one of the things that's uh, – these are really important functions. Is it ever under threat that this wouldn't exist, that this – the Federal Election Commission wouldn't exist? Like a lot of people have their funding – questions? Because one of the things that you have to be doing more and more, I would assume, is is related to data, online, giving, and things like that. Uh, you guys need more money to get up to speed, presumably. That would be good. We would take it. Mm-hmm. Um, we could come up with some good uses for it if they would give us more money. So what are the things you're facing from your perspective going forward? You know, people filling out forms is one thing, but there's there's so much more need for, you know, especially as elections become more digital, as they become more involved with social networks and things like that. Well, there are constant innovations in how people are running their campaigns, Mm -hmm. and some of them are good, Mm -hmm. and some of them expose weaknesses in the system. So we need to be uh, up and running so that we can stay on top of Talk about some of those things that you're thinking about, some innovations that are coming along in campaign finance. Well, of course, the campaigning is moving to the Internet. Right, um, moved. Uh, what, what, what used to be largely a broadcast advertising mm-hmm. venue is now moving more and more to the Internet. And the laws haven't really caught up with that. Not at all. Um, so the laws on disclosure, there are certain information that has to be disclosed when it um, when advertising takes place right. within 30 days of a primary. And that goes not to you. Does that go to days. you? That yes, goes, it does. That goes to you too. 60 days of a general election. Right. And uh, the information comes to us, but only when those ads are run through broadcast media, mm-hmm. not if they are run online. So the mm-hmm. law needs to be updated so that 
we can uh, get the information on this online advertising. Mm -hmm. We were in the process of trying to update our rules on uh, the disclaimers that go along with online advertising. Mm -hmm. Political advertising has to say where it's coming from. Right. Right? And that's really that important. That was at the crux of the Russia issues around that, Facebook. That was certainly one of, the, one of the big issues there. And it's really important that people know where the, issue, where the information is coming from because mm -hmm. I don't think anybody wants to get their political information from a Russian troll farm. No, not at all. Right? Although but, some of it was the content. Like a lot of it was, as we discussed yesterday, I was at an event at the uh, FEC, a lot of it was the content itself, not paid for. But paid advertising is, is what you'd be concerned with not the actual that, that is our um, that is one of our focuses is paid advertising but mm -hmm. when people are spending money to get their political message out there is a potential there that they have to be disclosing that money to, to us right. depending on right. what the message says and who's running the uh, who is doing it uh, and as I said for foreign nationals they're not supposed to be putting money into our elections in any way, shape, right, or form. Right, but this is a sneaky way to do it. Yes, it could be a sneaky way to do it. So uh, one issue that is uh, out there uh, is the need to update our regulations to make sure that people are getting good information about where the information is coming from that they're seeing online. There's also uh, chronic problems that are uh, always morphing into new forms of people trying to hide where the money's coming from through various dark money vehicles. So mm -hmm. route the money through from one organization to another organization through C4s or LLCs or other groups. And um, sometimes they will say, well, we're not, a, we're not a political committee. We don't have to do disclosure mm -hmm. because, in fact, we're just advocating on issues. So right. um, we had a, a case a few years ago involving a group called Carolina Rising, which said, I'm, we're not a political committee. We don't have to disclose to you. But they were running ads. They were running ads about candidates in North Carolina, about a particular Senate race. Mm -hmm. They were um, really lovely ads. I mean, I wanted to vote for the guy after I saw those <laughs> ads. They were so moving and compelling. They, they were terrific ads. Uh -huh. uh, and on, uh, but they said, it's all issue ads. It has nothing to do mm -hmm. with the, uh, we're not, we're not advocating for the election. Right. And on election night, the the head of that organization was on film, a local reporter caught him on film in election headquarters for that candidate that, that his organization had been running ads for, mm -hmm. wearing the campaign hat with the guy's name on it. And um, uh, and he was saying, we did it. We spent $5 million and we did it. Right. You know, he said to us, oh, we weren't running campaign ads. But there right. he was at campaign ed headquarters saying right. these are can these were, were right. ads that were run to influence this election. Right. And, I argued that that made his group a political committee and we should have at least investigated whether mm -hmm. their purpose was influencing an election and right. maybe they should have been disclosing their donors, but uh, we didn't have the votes to go forward on that. And right. that's just an example of a dark money group. We see groups like this all the time. And especially online where, where they don't label things. Like TV has to – has much, under much more stringent rules, correct? He would have to – if he was running a TV ad, he'd have to say paid for by Carolina Rising. But then right. the, the next question is, OK, so who's Carolina Rising? Who's right. behind that organization? Right. And that information was not made available to not the public. Not made available because it was online. No, because uh, he claimed he was doing issue advertising. Right, I see. Okay. So, so this is a whole different what, issue what, from yes. the online issue. So this what, is the, what is these the biggest issue ads. online that you all face from in this spending? Just tracking the money because a lot of it uh, – now, there are – 
positive attributes to um, the digital revolution mm-hmm. because it makes it really easy for small donors to participate. Right. Sure. You know, back in the old days where everybody had to write a check, people yeah. might not bother. They, they might not think it was worth the trouble to write a check sure. for $2. Sure. And a lot but, of the candidates are collecting enormous yes, amounts of money. Enormous amounts of money online, mm-hmm. and, you know, people can arrange to donate on a regular basis. And Which then you impl- monitor also. Yes. Right. Yes. All the, all the money that goes in and goes out mm-hmm. um, to political committees and to candidates, uh, we're on top of that. We don't get the details on contributions of less than $200. But you monitor. You monitor. The idea is that this is a good thing because small donors can get things in, although sometimes it can be obviously manipulated. Someone was saying that Republicans were trying to get several people on the debate stage. It doesn't really matter if it's small amounts of money, correct? They were trying to get – they were trying to manipulate, the, you know, because a lot of the getting on the Democratic debate stage matters of how many donors right. you have and things like that. Um but in general, you think that's a good thing that more people can use online services? I think it's it's a good thing when more people are participating in the political process, whether mm-hmm. they're doing it by donation or um, uh, and or hopefully by voting. Right, right. And so that works. What are the things that are more challenging from your perspective? Well, as I said, you know, sometimes you have to trace it back through several levels to try and find out where the money's actually coming from. Mm-hmm. So that's a big problem. Making sure that some of these organizations are not hiding foreign money, mm-hmm. that's a big problem that I'm uh, worried about a great deal these days. Mm-hmm. And when you when this stuff happened, what is right now your relationship with, it's really just Google and Facebook. That's where the real action is, presumably, or is it elsewhere? Well, Google, Facebook, Twitter. Twitter. And who knows what will come along tomorrow. Right. But those are the three you deal with. So what are the biggest – how are your relationship with them? How do, you, how do you interface with them? Well, that's an interesting question. We have the potential to regulate them, but our regulations on the internet are uh, pretty mild. They're not right. non-existent, but they're pretty mild. What are they're, they? Really? They, were, um, they were put into effect back in 2007, I believe. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's been a great deal of change in the um, – Yes, Things change. In, in, yes, in the, yeah. in the landscape of the Internet, in the power of the Internet. I mean, back then every, we had uh, a really interesting rulemaking and a lot of people came in and they said, oh, we've got this new thing, mm-hmm. politics on the Internet, and we have to be very careful how we regulate mm-hmm. this because it's, it's like a, a little baby and yeah. we have to let it grow. Yeah, they're big babies. And we, they're and, giant <laughs> babies that ate. New York. Like, and, we, okay. and we don't want to regulate too strenuously because we don't want to throttle the baby in its crib. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, you know, here we are in 2019 and we haven't updated our regulations in a what, dozen years. What is the we, regulations for them right now? Right now, it just says that if there is uh, paid advertising on another person's website on the Internet, it has to be disclosed. You have to carry the disclaimer information. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a lot more to it than that. Is there things you'd like to see, or do you, do you have things that you guys were working on? Well, as I said, we were working on even improving the – just making sure that that disclaimer information right. is uh, is appropriate and is being carried out properly because, you know, it's not clear that everybody acknowledges their obligation to put the information on right. their internet advertising, yeah. right? Yeah. And – there's this whole new area of well, – it's not new anymore, but when we did our uh, rulemaking, YouTube was in its infancy. And mm-hmm. the notion of a free platform where people wouldn't have to pay for advertising, mm-hmm. but they could, in fact, spend a lot of money 
Making, getting some, getting making, something out there, right. promoting virality, right. and uh, getting a message out there that could have a huge impact on the election. Mm-hmm. A lot of money spent, and we wouldn't be capturing that right mm-hmm. now. Right. So, and back then, it made sense to focus on paid advertising because we were working off of the old traditional broadcast model where you couldn't get your message out without paying somebody to sure. run the but ad. Sure, now this content is free, and yes. so therefore you're, you're still spending something to get an, an impact. Right. So— I think we are long overdue for doing another rulemaking that might look at how is money actually being used on the Internet and are we capturing what we need to capture in order to make sure that the American people are informed about who is exercising influence. This is a massive thing, though. This is a massive platform now. So how would you – going to the companies that principally run things in this area, correct? It wouldn't be necessarily the companies themselves. Traditionally, what we look to are who's spending the money. Mm-hmm. So they're not actually spending the money. Right. Um, they're receiving the money. Right. But uh, we usually look to the folks who are placing the ads, who are spending the money, and those are the ones who usually have the disclosure obligations. Uh, obligations. So where does that put the companies? Because they're the ones facilitating this. Because you know they're benign platforms, just so you know, Ellen. <laughs> Good to Ellen's know. smiling at me. <laughs> Good to know. I, I assume everyone is benign. They're not benign platforms. They're not? No, not at all. So how do you deal with this? It's, ma- it's massive. my dreams here, I know. Karen. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Ellen. How do you deal with this? Ma- they're huge, and they're, they can't hardly run them themselves. So, Well, you know, it's interesting. I think the platforms have tried to take some positive steps mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. They've, they have adopted some um, uh, affirmative steps of their own, even in the absence of regulation. But what I have heard from them is that they actually would like some regulation because they're seeing that it's actually quite difficult mm-hmm. to decide what is a political ad and what isn't a political right. ad and where do you need that extra bit of information, that extra disclosure. And I think they would like some guidance from, mm-hmm. from the government, if only to kind of get themselves off the hook for oh. having to make those decisions. Right, absolutely. So here you are with when Cambridge Analytica happened and stuff like that. Is that your purview? Who, I mean, obviously, uh, the FBI looked at it. All kinds of people looked at it. Facebook looked at it. Uh, there were whistleblowers. Where does that fit in with your... Well, let me just say that anyone who spends money to influence an election, if they do that in a way that violates the law, somebody can file a complaint. And uh, I can't comment on anything that may come before the commission in the mm-hmm. form of a complaint. Right. And so you wait for—but you see these complaints coming through, correct? Yes. Yeah. So you—but so, when you looked at it in the whole, it sort of was—it it it sort of exposed what you're just talking about, is there's lots of ways to spend money in not the traditional way. Yes. And so do you have enough technical tools that you're behind this commission to, to, to be— able to handle it? Or is it just an overwhelming flow of information that is hard to handle? Well, as I said, I think uh, the law needs to be strengthened. The Honest Ads Act, for mm-hmm. example, which would— Explain that for um, people who don't know what it well, is. Well, I mean, the basic premise is you take the rules that apply to broadcast ads and you make sure that the same rules apply to online advertising, yes, right. which has a you know certain common sense value yes. to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, many of the platforms, in fact, have— endorse that. Um, they they seem to be on board with it. Mm-hmm. It's got bipartisan support, but it can't seem to get a vote right. in the Senate. And why is that? 
You don't run the Senate. I don't run the Senate. Run, run the Senate. I so, definitely do so not run the Senate. So one of the things that was striking yesterday, because we also talked about cybersecurity, uh, a, a lot of it about cybersecurity, and that I think someone mentioned there were, what, 30 bills, 40 bills in the Senate related yes. to that, related to spending, related to all kinds of things. Well, yes, various forms of election protection, many of them real, you know, some of them about disclosure, some of them about providing better cybersecurity, some of them involving making sure we have sanctions in place so that uh, people would be deterred, mm-hmm. the particularly foreign spenders, would be deterred from trying to interfere in our election because there would be huge consequences if they did. Sure. Uh, providing more money to the states and localities in order to make sure that um, that's where the rubber hits the road in terms of Explain election that. administration. Uh, our elections are pretty decentralized. Mm-hmm. So the folks who are actually administering the elections, running, uh, manning the polling stations and um, collecting information for voter registration databases mm-hmm. and making sure that people have the opportunity to vote. All of that is happening at the state and local level. Even if it has a federal impact? Yes. Yeah. So there needs to be sufficient funding provided to every state and county to make sure that they can acquire the tools they need Mm -hmm. to ensure that uh, they have the cybersecurity that they need in place so the voter registration database can't get hacked. Right. uh, And so that we have confidence on Election Day that all the votes are being tallied properly. Mm -hmm. So that there are bills to provide more money to the states and localities so that they can have the resources to protect themselves and protect all of us and make sure that we have a free and fair election in 2020. And uh, even those funding bills are tied up in Congress right Right. now. All of them are. Is there one that's critically important that's tied up from your perspective? Or all of them collectively have a difference? Well, I mean, from my my perspective, um, I'm— uh, very interested in both the Honest Ads Act and the Disclose Act, both of which would provide better disclosure mechanisms and ensure that we were, we actually were getting disclosure of all the money that's being spent, mm-hmm. particularly large amounts of money. I mean, I'm not so worried about the $25 contributions. I'm very worried about uh, $25 million contributions. And there there are such things. And mm-hmm. Citizens United uh, gave us the world of super PACs. There are, um, I think in the last election, there were... 126 people who reported giving more than a million dollars. There were a dozen who gave over $10 million, and there was one family that gave over $100 million. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there are huge amounts of money being raised and spent, Mm -hmm. and uh, we want to make sure that we are adequately uh, getting disclosure of, of all that, and as I said, particularly at the top ends. So the Honest Ads Act and the Disclose Act would help with that. And from a disclosure perspective, which is, which is my core mission, right. that's what I'm interested in. But also, I think the bills that would shore up our cybersecurity and impose sanctions on uh, anyone, uh, particularly foreign actors who might seek to intervene in our elections, I think are really important mm-hmm. uh, and would give the American people a lot more confidence that our elections were secure. Were you surprised that after 2016 and all the inherent controversies around the, the interference, especially online in the elections, primarily online, that nothing has passed? It's sad. Yeah. It makes me sad. Me too, Ellen. We just can't be sad. It's got to happen. It's got. It's really amazing. Well, it's, I, think, I, I think it's an indictment on our Congress on our, and, and, and the executive branch. Well, I think that there are many good bills out there. I encourage citizens to inform themselves, and if they see particular bills that they want to see passed, they should contact their members of um, Congress, particularly in the Senate, and try and exert pressure to get this done. Because right. it really—I I agree with you. It's, it's kind what of unacceptable. What is the resistance? It's just resist—just— 
Again, you are asking the wrong, wrong person. person. Okay, Ellen. Um, I, I, w- I would love to know what you think. We're going to talk in the next section what you think the biggest danger to uh, the, the free and fair elections are. I, I think, I, and it could be Donald Trump's tweeting, which you got into. I was really admirable of how hard you pushed back on some of the statements he made. We're going to talk about that when we get back. We're going to take another break now. We'll be back with Ellen Weintraub, who chairs the Federal Election Commission, which is an independent body, that uh, regulatory agency that enforces campaign finance law. We're here with Ellen Weintraub, who chairs the Federal Election Commission, an independent regulatory agency that enforces campaign finance law, but it does a lot more than that. It also does regulation. It does transparency. It allows people to see where money's going. And money, of course, is at the heart of all campaigns now. Ellen, you got into a little tussle with the president, Mr. Tweeter, the tweeter-in-chief, troller-in-chief. Explain what happened. He had tweeted something about the integrity of elections. Well, I don't. I don't consider it a, a tussle. I, I I have an obligation to make sure that everybody um, has the right information about the law. And I also worry a lot. I think big picture, you know, I, I worry a lot about the state of our democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worry about the fact that we don't get a lot of people to turn out and vote. Even, right. You know, in a, in a, in a BAFO year, we'll get in the mid-60% mm-hmm. of people turning out to vote. And people say, wow, isn't that great? Uh, in the last midterm, people were just over the moon at the turnout, and it was really only about 50% mm-hmm. uh, of folks who turned out and actually exercised their right to vote. Midterms matter. Yeah. Uh, people tend to focus on the presidential, but midterms matter a lot. They all matter a lot. All elections do. I think it's a it's a privilege to be able to vote. At, you know, my son, for the first time, will be voting in a presidential election this year, and I told him if he didn't vote, I, he's not allowed to eat. <laughs> he's not allowed any food from my home if he doesn't, you know, he has to go to the polls. He must. Voting is really important. And you know who loves to vote? Hmm. Old people love yes, to vote. they do. And, you know, I, I say this whenever I talk to um, younger potential voters that you wouldn't let your grandparents choose your clothing mm-hmm. or your music right. or who you Everybody went out with. Should. Right? Everybody should. So you shouldn't let your grandparents choose your government. Right. Choose the people who are going to adopt the policies that are going to affect your life right. in so many ways. So You don't mean to say old people should vote because I'm an no, old person. I, <laughs> like, you, you are know, not an old I person. I am an old person. You're but not no, old. old people should vote, but young people should vote. Everybody Everyone should, should, should vote. vote. Yes, Everyone but you're right. Young vote. people don't vote a lot. That is true. Young yeah. people tend not to vote as much as old people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if they want a government that represents their values and their interests, then they have have to show politicians that they're going to hold them accountable at the at the ballot box. Mm-hmm. That's what politicians. So your push is to get to. people to vote, and I President would, Trump did what? I'm, I don't want to get it wrong. He tweeted that there was an allegation that millions of people voted illegally, mm-hmm. uh, engaged in in voter fraud mm-hmm. in the last election, and in particular, there were um, people bussed from other places to New Hampshire yeah. to vote, and therefore the the vote tallies were. Wrong because mm-hmm. people were were uh, the the tallies were right, but the they represented illegal voters, and mm-hmm. and therefore the results did not go the way they should have. And the notion of this canard of voter fraud mm-hmm. has been around for a very long time. Yes, it seems to make intuitive sense to some people that there must be people voting illegally three out and there. four and five times. I think you um, keep saying that, but in fact. Scholars have studied this. People have looked into this after the 2014 election. One scholar looked at at every election between 2000 and 2014, over a billion votes, and found 31 instances of potential 
credible allegations of, of voter fraud. Right. It just doesn't well, happen. It's a persistent narrative. Like Chicago, they vote three and the dead vote. And it is a like persistent that. narrative, but it doesn't – there's right. no documentation for it. Voter suppression is the bigger problem. That is the problem. And that's what I worry about, that people who are worried about voter fraud will adopt really stringent restrictions, and that will end up impairing real, legitimate – American citizens who have the right to vote from exercising that franchise. Mm -hmm. They're just putting obstacles in the way and making it more difficult to vote. And we should make it easy to vote. Mm -hmm. We should Obviously, we only want American citizens to be voting in our election, but we want every American citizen to be voting right. in our election so that the government represents as many of the people as, as there are in the country. And so you pushed back on that. He, put, he, he was pushing the idea of voter fraud quite well, the the Which issue has with voter doing. fraud is I have not seen any evidence. Mm -hmm. And in fact, to the contrary, uh, the, the studies that I have seen have shown that there really isn't any evidence. There, mm -hmm. was, a, there was a case in Kansas um, either earlier this year or last year where um, the, the proponents of, of voter fraud trotted out all their favorite experts and the judge found them totally lacking in credibility. They just couldn't come up with any real evidence to document this. And as I said, there's, there are real ramifications. Mm -hmm. it's, it is not a, uh, a victimless process if you adopt a lot of really stringent restrictions to, 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 um, to try and ensure that there is absolutely no possible way for this voter fraud, which doesn't seem to be really happening, uh, to ever happen if those restrictions are at the same time preventing thousands of people from exercising what should be their their real right to vote. So what the president did was in a rally in New Hampshire this summer in, in New Hampshire, he said that he could have won New Hampshire in 2018, not for its, quote, thousands and thousands of people coming in from locations unknown. And so you sent a letter saying, no, not so much. You want him to substantiate the claims of voter fraud. Well, I asked if he had evidence, and yeah. if he did have evidence, I, I said he should bring it forward to the mm -hmm. local, to the appropriate law enforcement officials, because if indeed this happened, if thousands of people were voting illegally, then that is a massive crime, and mm -hmm. it should be pursued. Right. And by the way, it probably, it's, it's hard for me to imagine any kind of a grand conspiracy involving thousands of people that wouldn't involves spending some money somewhere along right, the way. Right, which is where you which come is, in. That's where we come in because right. that money was certainly not reported to us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if there are buses rented to haul people into New Hampshire from some other place. You would like to know. I would like to know who paid for those buses. Right. So what I said was, let's see the evidence. The evidence right. should be produced. And But if there isn't evidence to be just raising these allegations, which, as I said, have been around for a really long time, this notion of voter fraud, it is a sticky one. Mm -hmm. Uh, as you've said, it kind of sticks in the imagination. Mm -hmm. If there really isn't evidence, and as I said, I haven't seen any, mm -hmm. then it's it's harmful to the democracy to be promoting this view. Uh, I think there are also increasing numbers of people who are worried about what's going to happen in the next election. Mm -hmm. And will people accept the results? Right, which is a big question we discussed. Well, let me write, read from the letter. First of all, you tweeted, you go, sad, <laughs> sad, which I like that. Well done. Last night, real Donald Trump, at real Donald Trump, again made unfounded claims about massive voter fraud in New Hampshire in 2016. In this letter, I asked him to back up his claims in terms of former casino operators should, and in, terms, uh, in the terms, a former casino operator should understand there comes a time when you need to lay your cards on the table or fold. Ellen, that's very cheeky of you. It was a little cheeky. It was cheeky. What did you think about using Twitter in this methodology, in this, in this fashion? I, I hear that some people 
find Twitter to be quite a venue for political speech. Yes, I know, yeah. Um, uh, and it seems to be a good way to get certain messages out. Yes. And, and it seems to be a people place notice. that some people actually pay attention to. Right, they do, especially the media. But actually, let me read from the letters. I think this is critically important. What I wrote to you in March 2017 is just as true now. Our democracy depends on American people's faith in our elections. Your voter fraud allegations run the risk of undermining that faith, just as seriously baseless allegations of fraud have been used to rationalize indefensible laws that deter certain U.S. citizens from exercising their right to vote. Words matter and facts matter. And facts are not partisan, by the way. Well, they are today, but tell me more. Well, I mean, that's that's really it in a nutshell. I am concerned about the state of our democracy. I want people to have faith in the system. There are so many good people out there who are trying to administer free and fair elections mm-hmm. for the American people. And I don't want people to be needlessly scared and not to trust the results. But I also don't want measures to be adopted that are going to prevent people from voting who really do have the right to vote. Right. And And as I said— if this is going on, we this is a massive crime and it needs to be addressed, but it needs to be addressed through the proper channels. Let's let's put the evidence before law enforcement and let them go after it. Right. Do you think proof is really the point here? It's to create it's to create doubt. It's actually just what the Russians do without any proof to create doubt. There is no attempt here to provide proof. You don't expect to get proof, correct? You'd well, be happy to get proof. It, well, it, I wouldn't be happy to get right. proof because it would be right. sad if there actually was proof um, right. of massive voter fraud. But I would like there not to be massive voter fraud. I haven't seen any evidence that there is massive voter fraud. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants voter fraud. It, but it tends not to happen. The The nonpartisan Brennan Center in New York um, has done some studies on this, and, mm-hmm. and they said that you are more likely to be struck by lightning than to engage in in-person voter fraud. If you think about it, it's it doesn't make a lot of sense. You would have to persuade thousands of people, each one of them, to risk going to jail in right. order to, you know, add one vote to the total. Right, exactly. It's, it's quite an expensive way to do it. Do you, you worry—so when, when you did this, you got a lot of attention for doing this, but you're going to keep doing—like, prove it. Like, we will investigate it if you can prove your allegation. Well, somebody should be investigating it. And right. we, we will investigate if, the, if there are allegations. If only you was, had a quorum. <laughs> well, there's that. Uh, we, can't, we can't launch any new investigations now. But if there was evidence that money was being spent to perpetrate a voter fraud, then it should be reported and we could investigate that. Right. If somehow this was being done without any money being spent, but there was still voter fraud, then it would be a matter for the FBI or state or local right, officials. Right, but it's not just money spent. It's like any any value, right? Anything of value. Anything of value. It's not the yeah. same money. Do you, when you look at this, do you are you more worried about the corrosive effects of money on these elections? Because you have to now monitor this enormous ca- gusher of cash coming through, which is an, uh, already a difficult problem, or sort of the more sneaky ways you can do it online. Like these, these social media sites, these uh, these online venues, the ability to use email and everything else to raise money, it probably raises your job, the quantum level of just quantumly, I guess. I don't know. Well, the amount of money that is being raised and spent uh, is, um, you know, in the billions. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know, but there are predictions that the cost of this election um, could reach $10 billion. I think the last one was in the $7 billion mm-hmm. range. So the question is, what are people getting in return for that money? Right. That's that's what you have to worry about. Are there, are there rich donors at the top end who are getting undue influence uh, over the process so that, you know, ordinary, regular citizens don't really have 
that kind of a voice in their own government and right. aren't fully represented. Mm-hmm. If if uh, if politicians are adopting laws at the behest of their donors rather mm-hmm. than at the behest of their constituents, that's a problem for the system, I think. Um, we want a government, I want a government that represents the views of everybody, mm-hmm. not just the people at the top, not just the people who are able to make million-dollar contributions. So right. that's where you get into the corrosive influence of money in politics because it, it affects how policies get adopted and or don't get adopted, how policies get stopped that maybe a lot of people want. I mean, you, you see this in Congress from time to time. Public opinion polls show that high percentages of people want this policy or that policy, and somehow it can't get adopted. Well, right. what's Gun stopping control. it? You know, maybe there are wealthy donors out there yeah. who, are, who are having a say at the expense of everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a problem when you talk about the corrosive influence of money in politics. When it's coming in through dark money venues, then it's completely invisible, and people can't don't even have access to the information to be appropriately, um, to appropriately critique their government and hold it accountable. Uh, the risk of foreign money seeping in through any of these uh, sources or uh, for foreigners to be getting influence over our government in over other our ways. elections yeah. through social media or in other ways is obviously deeply troubling. There's plenty to be worried about. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, I'm going to give you more to worry about. Um, when you're thinking about these things, you've got now got to deal with not just the amount of money, but how it's coming in, how it's spent in more creative ways because online gives you, you know, a television station is pretty straightforward, buying ads on TV stations. This is not straightforward. Forward. These ads are not straightforward, well, and, they're, and they're not even ads necessarily. Well, when you look at these targeted ad buys, so mm-hmm. that you know what what comes into my feed, what the ads that pop up in my feed are not the same as the ads that pop up in your feed, uh, because somebody is targeting us because of all the information that sometimes that the social media platforms themselves are collecting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, then it becomes much harder to monitor because the advertising is going out on an individual basis. Right. And, and our campaign finance laws never anticipated that. Right. Exactly. They were set up in the 1970s for the most part uh, in a world of broadcast advertising. So they don't really have a mechanism for reaching that kind of individual advertising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for people to respond to it. So if you're, the, if you're a candidate and you're being attacked, but you can't see the ads— that are attacking you. You don't know they're there because they're just going in different right. formats to different people's feeds in, in or your constituency. Or emails or yeah. texts yeah. or anywhere. however you're receiving it. Right. Um, and the more you get into these private networks, so mm-hmm. there's, there's the... Uh, the problem of individualized advertising that nobody can see because it's but you, it, but you. Mm-hmm. and I think the platforms have made some commitments about trying to capture those ads and make some kind of an archive. But I don't know if they're actually capturing all of them. Oh, it's perfect. It's it's, it's, uh, it's, it's perfect for it's these very, people who are yeah, trying to spend this money. It's, it's very hard to to tell. Then there there are people who are getting it through WhatsApp or mm-hmm. from some other private messaging right. service where it's You're not never even gonna, it's encrypted. Yes, it's all encrypted. It's not on any kind of a of a, a even semi public platform. Who sees that? Who monitors that? Who and knows with, that it's even Facebook there? And with Facebook wanting to become more encrypted, WhatsApp is largely used in foreign countries, which is not as many people use it here. But Facebook wants more and more of their information to be encrypted, to be private. That's where they're moving. And, you know, encryption can be a good thing. Sure. You know, I want my information to be uh, mm-hmm. private and protected right. and But it's and a perfect encrypted. vehicle for uh, but targeted it does, ads. I don't think anybody has done 
a lot of serious thought on how one would regulate that, mm-hmm. uh, how one would adapt the platforms, the legal platforms that we have established that, again, go back to the 1970s when none of this stuff existed. Right. Nobody even thought about it. Right. So um, speaking the, of— The laws are just hopeless, hopelessly out of date for this. A hundred percent, and so are the legislators, but that's that, we won't get into that. I won't have you insult the Congress. I will do it all by myself. But the last thing I want to ask you, Bitcoin— we even thought of Bitcoin. Alan. We have. We've had a couple of AOs on Bitcoin. Okay. I think that we should treat Bitcoin like cash. There mm-hmm. are very uh, st- strong limits on cash contributions because of its, you know, there are limits on an- yeah, you on can take it anonymous in a contributions. There are limits yeah. on cash contributions. And I think we should treat Bitcoin like cash. Mm-hmm. But I worry about it because, again, there's no way to trace it. You don't know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And what shall you do, Ellen, if you have to deal with it? What kind of regulation? Well, as I said, we've been— like cash. We, we've, we've How do you treat cash now? Because people don't well, do suitcase. This is not—because right. cash no, but, is harder because right. suitcase is full of money or you gold. You can't get more than $50. Right, exactly. So, um, but Bitcoin, you can. Well, that's what I'm saying is yeah. we should subject it to the same limit as cash contributions. Do you think you can chase the Bitcoin? Because, boy, it's— There aren't that many campaigns that are using it Mm -hmm. now. And again, this is one of these areas where. Not Andrew Yang? There isn't. I have no idea. I have no idea. We have had a couple of requests on this, and I think that some folks are probably going to be. Uh, somewhat circumspect about accepting Bitcoin without some kind of imprimatur, without some kind of ruling from the FEC that says, Mm -hmm. here's how you should go about dealing with this new form of digital currency. And until then, they can just, well, you could come back for them, but till then, there's no rule. No, I think the the rule— They won't use it. I, I think, I think the rule is you have to subject it to cash limits right. um, and not accept large amounts of money um, uh, through Bitcoin. That would That's my view. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is an area that the commission, when it was uh, presented with this, did not entirely agree. Mm-hmm. That was the part that we could agree on, that at least if we were— It would what be okay to on? On, on how to treat Bitcoin in amounts larger than the cash limit. Mm-hmm. I thought that we should just say, you can't take it if it's above the cash limit. Some of my colleagues disagreed with me. We didn't have consensus the last time it came up. Come up, but it's going to come up in the future, all kinds of stuff. No doubt. No doubt. All right, Ellen, how do you feel about the 2020 election? Last question. How do you, how are you looking at it? Here you are. You can't do anything for right now. Well, I'm really hoping that we're going to, that situation is not going to last very long. Mm-hmm. I am hoping that the president's going to make uh, nominations and the Senate will confirm them. I'm hoping to get colleagues who are willing to enforce the law. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's that's another whole problem that we haven't even talked about is that for the last— Please go ahead. Thank you. No problem. Uh, for the last 11 years, um, the polarization on the commission, mm-hmm. not unlike polarization in Washington in general, but on the commission, when you've got a 3-3 split, uh, it's become a lot worse. It's a lot harder to reach a result that will get four votes. And when I first started on the commission, there was a real commitment on the part of all commissioners to try and work together, to try and find four votes to, um, you know, People would have to make some compromises on that. Mm-hmm. Nobody would Which think the answers good. were perfect. But if there was a place where four commissioners could land in order to give a clear answer, uh, in order to write regulations, in order to issue advisory opinions, in order to enforce the law, that that was the way the commission was set up. It was set up to compromise. Um, but starting about 11 years ago, we got a new group of commissioners who said, 
No, actually, if the three of us vote together all the time and we vote no, we can really restrict the activities of the election commission. We can really hamper um, you. We can really hamper our the commission's ability to enforce the law. We can hamper the commission's ability to give right. guidance and to make regulations. And since they were uh, had a very deregulatory libertarian philosophy, mm. they thought that was a good result. Yeah. So we've had a lot less working Mucking together. Mucking up the. The gears is a very is a very easy thing to do. It is governing it is, is very hard. That is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is much harder to. Uh, but you know that was the part I always liked the best. That's mm-hmm. the fun part. Is where's the deal? Mm-hmm. See if you can find a place for four people to land, there's just a lot less interest in finding that place um, for the folks who would rather not see us enforce the law so much at all. Do you see any solution to that? In the short term. Probably not. Yeah. Go and catch a falling star. <laughs> Remember that poem? Um, it's, a really, it's a really sad thing because these elections, the, the integrity of these elections are critical. Absolutely. Um, and it's really important that we have people like you serving. Um, I do hope you get the rest of your measures. I hope you get commissioners that you all can do deals with because um, it's really important in this partisan environment. When the outsides are controlling the center, it's a really – it's a big problem in our society and hopefully it will be resolved at some point. But we'll see. But I appreciate it. Well, I hope that these things are cyclical and maybe we're at a high point in uh, polarization and partisanship, uh, but the wheel will turn. Uh, I don't know about that because I feel like it's at the bottom of a bottomless well. That's what it feels like to me. But I really appreciate that you're on the job. You give me great hope. And uh, you're an excellent tweeter, by the way. Thank you. And you should keep doing it. It was very funny. It was really funny, but actually quite pointed in that we have to have free and fair elections uh, without the influence of, of too much money or foreign uh, influence. Absolutely. Critical. Anyway, thank you, uh, Chair Weintraub, for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Chair Weintraub, where can people find you online? At Elena L. Weintraub on Twitter. And the FEC? Uh, the FEC is at uh, fec.gov. I've got a, a page on there that's got all of my statements and everything I talk about. And you can fi- and you website. can find all these campaign finance reports. If Absolutely. You're just a citizen, and you should look at yes. these things. Yes, you can look at it. And let me also recommend another uh, great website is OpenSecrets.org, run mm-hmm. by the Center for Responsive Politics. They do a great job of taking the data that we collect and crunching the numbers and doing great analysis and charts and. Um, Can I ask you, will you be using AI in the future to do stuff like that, to see, Pat? Do you, do you, are you starting to do that kind of stuff with the data? Not yet, but we'll see what the future brings. Okay. If you like this episode, may we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then. <laughs>